0: Folks, welcome back. Welcome back to another edition of the CIC Cast. I am Joel Cookson, as always, your host for this discussion of Connecticut high school sports. We are very thrilled you have decided to come along with us for this edition of the CIC Cast. A little bit of a different one here, and not just because we are back within just one week, as opposed to our usual every other week, or if you look at how often I've been Producing them here in the uh, since since uh, the end of the winter season are once a month or so podcast scheduled. Yes, we had a podcast posted just last week, and we are back with a new one this week. And as I mentioned, uh, for the devout podcast listeners among you. Last week, I talked about how we had a couple different things coming up on the Cast. This would be one of those things. This week, uh, we have just a single guest, and that is the executive director of the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, also known as my boss. Carissa Nehoff joins us for a kind of lengthy discussion. We're going to hit on, hopefully, on a lot of different things, and I won't ask any questions that uh, upset her so much that she tells me I can't do any more Casts. so all of that is going to be coming up for you. Excited to uh, to sit down and talk to her. She's a lot of fun to talk to. Hopefully, will be a lot of fun to listen to for all you folks out there, and hopefully can can provide a little bit of insight into uh, some of the things that go on here at the CIEC that maybe fans and uh, and athletes and coaches, etc., don't uh, don't know about or don't have a great understanding of. So, looking forward. To that conversation with Carissa, we're going to, so as I said, just one guest this week and we're going to quickly dive into, uh, because we were with you just last week, going to quickly dive into things you might have missed on CICsports.com. But of course, before we do that, we have to talk about a little something from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation and Highway Safety. That, of course, is how important it is to not drive distracted. So you've heard me say this before, but let's go through it one more time. Sending or receiving a text. That takes a driver's eyes from the road for an average of 4.6 seconds. Probably take would take me longer because I can't text very quickly. But for for the kids, average of 4.6 seconds. Driving at 55 miles per hour. This is the equivalent of traveling the length of an entire football field blind. That is not a good idea. Please do not text or drive or drive distracted and encourage your friends and family as well to put the phone away once you get behind the wheel. I'm watching my favorite T V show last night, the Americans, they were uh, one of the father was doing driving lessons with the daughter just reminds you just how dangerous it can be behind be behind the wheel. Hopefully that's not a spoiler for anybody. That's not ruining any of the plot there, trust me. But you just got to remember, you're driving a very, very dangerous piece of equipment. You're traveling at high rates of speed. You do not need any kind of distraction. Keep the phone parked away. Press play on the CIAC cast, as I always say, and then just park your phone. Put it in your pocket. Put it in the center console. Hide it under your seat. Put it in your bag. Do whatever you need to do to it, but don't look at it. Even when you hear that ping of the text message or whatever your little notification is, keep it parked away. It's not worth the risk. No one is that important. Nothing anyone is texting you is that important. For you to put yourself and other people at risk. So remember, one text or call could wreck it all. Keep the phone put away when you're behind the wheel. All of that said, things you might have missed on CICSports.com. As I told you, we had a little bit of uh, a little bit of follow-up to do on the scholar-athlete program. Very excited to uh, post a story about Liliana Garcia of uh, Buckley, Buckley High School in Hartford, wrote a little bit about her, her incredible journey uh, to the United States and to the Scholar-Athlete stage. So I hope you'll check out that story. Really, uh, really proud of that one, really think it was a worthwhile story to, uh, to print. We also, of course, last Friday had another edition of Linked Up, keeping on a pretty good uh, once-a-week schedule with that bad boy over the past uh, month or so. So you can check that out. Of course, we had last week's CIAC cast. If you happen to miss it, we hit on a couple different things on that edition. So hope you'll check that out as well. And, uh, you know, your usual scores and schedules. We're getting down to it here, folks. We are a little bit over uh, just about a month away from the busy spring championship weekend. So... That's just uh, that's not a lot of time. You got to see how your team's doing. You got to see who they've got on the schedule. You got to check out those uh, playoff rankings. All of that is there on CICSports.com or the Tournament Central page. Sign up for text alerts and emails. Uh, I mentioned this last time. The spring is the time to sign up for email and text alerts about schedule changes because it rains all the time. For those of you uh, who uh, have been living in Connecticut for the last uh, few weeks, you are aware that it rains a lot in the spring and nobody can play games. So you got to know when those games have been scheduled, have been rescheduled, have been postponed, all that good stuff. So those are just a few things you might have missed on CICSports.com. You can always check out our Twitter feed, at CIAC Sports. That's a good place to keep tabs of everything that's going on. We tweet out links to the CIAC cast. We tweet out links to just about every story that uh, we post on Sports.com. Then you won't have to worry about things you might have missed, because you will see them all. You can also check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sports. And uh, it's all good stuff. So with all that said, we're going to get into our conversation with uh, our executive director, Kristen Ehoff. Once again, very happy to have her on. This is, I believe, our 59th CIAC cast, and it's uh, about time I I bring the executive director on to talk a little CIAC. Again, it's going to be kind of a wide-ranging discussion, I think. Hope you'll enjoy it. Without further ado, here is our chat with the CIAC executive director. So we have a couple of firsts here on the CIAC cast. I believe this is our first in-studio interview. And when I say studio, I mean my office and a couple <laughs> microphones set up on my desk. And we also have, uh, for the first time and long overdue on our 59th podcast, we have Carissa Nehoff, the executive director of the of cast CIAC here to uh, to offer some sort of thoughts and, and a little... Uh, a little blueprint and and sort of general ciac 101 so carissa thank you for uh for carving out some time at lunch here to, to chat with me
1: oh you're very welcome joel it's nice to be upstairs in your office your that, studio
0: that's right well i say the, the risk of this of course is uh it's nice that we'll be able to, to hear from uh, our executive director the concern is that she's going to figure out what i'm doing with my day and <laughs> uh and suddenly be like this is what we're spending our time doing but we'll uh We'll we'll venture on. So we're gonna uh, kind of bounce around and give Carissa a lot of different things to to hit on and sort of issues uh, with the CIAC and things like that. But wanted to sort of start out for for our listeners and for folks who don't know, talk a little bit about your background and and how you became uh, in the sitting in the chair that you're in now as the the director of uh, of CIAC. Where did you uh, where do you come from? Give give our folks a little bit of the the Carissa Niehoff, oh my uh, backstory.
1: So, um, actually, uh, I spent 13 years of my life as a child on a farm in New York State. So, I have that kind of farm background. And then for high school, my family moved to Marblehead, Mass., uh, which was a real different environment from being on a farm. Suddenly now I had to learn what Nike sneakers were and Levi's and things (laughs) I had never heard of. But uh, always important in my family were education and participation in athletics. My parents were both athletes, my dad in collegiate level. And um, so growing up, they encouraged us to do well in school, to pick up music, <laughs> do play two instruments, and we were encouraged to do a sport every season. And that wasn't an issue for us as kids because we loved being involved in yeah. athletics. So in high school, um, actually, I, I didn't play a fall sport till my senior year because I always grew up showing my horse. And summer and fall were big showing seasons. So in high school, I actually played basketball in the winter, ran track in the spring. We were state champions for three years in basketball, and I had a very successful track career and was actually being recruited for that. Um, but then my senior year picked up field hockey and loved the game and ended up, actually going on to play in the Junior Olympics the summer after high school and our team won the gold and then was immediately recruited for field hockey and actually that was happening when I was playing as a senior. And um, so in college I I started at Brown University and played field hockey there, varsity field hockey. Uh, Because my family had two other kids coming behind me they said we can only send you to Brown for a year uh, that you should go. And I did, and I loved it. So then I transferred to UMass, where I had a full scholarship to play field hockey. And as a D1 program, that's year round. Mm-hmm. So I played in college and then graduated and pursued a teaching career, uh, came to Connecticut, began teaching and coaching. Um, and at some point, my path crossed with Dr. Susie DiNolfo as principal of Litchfield High School, and she hired me to teach and coach. She was a member of the Olympic Committee at the time and got me involved. So in the mid-'90s, early to mid to late-'90s, into 2000, actually, I was a member of the U.S. Olympic Committee's Education Committee. We started, Susie and I were the co-founders of a national leadership academy for the USOC. Um, I did some summers out there in Colorado Springs. Some of the programs we did in the sport development division took uh, Olympic athletes and helped them transition into life after their sport which was fascinating because sometimes you'd come across folks who were 18 years old and 20, 21 years old, and they're right. finished. Yeah. Um, but worked indirectly with athletes in that capacity. And then um, at the same time, I'm teaching teaching, coaching at high school level. Um, <laughs> to coach field hockey, basketball, and track, uh, the sports that I played, and um, did the Olympic committee work. And then I got the administration bug mm-hmm. and went back to get my 092 and ultimately my doctorate at UConn in, in Ed Leadership. In 2000, I assumed an assistant principalship of a middle school in Region 10, Harbor Middle School, stopped coaching at that point. Uh, and then in 2004, I became principal at Lewis Mills High School. And then in 2010, I was here at the CIC <laughs> for a meeting. And had heard the news that Mike Savage was going to retire, and I was here for a sportsmanship committee meeting, actually that I chaired. And he said, you know, can you come into my office? And I said, well, sure. I'd never been in his office, so I thought, oh, what did I do? Did I forget something, you know, for this <laughs> meeting today? And he said, did, you know, you heard I'm going to retire. And I said, oh, yeah. You know, that's that's so bittersweet. It's congratulations, but it's hard for us, it's, you know. And he said, no, I don't want to talk about me. He said, you know, do you think you might be interested in my job? And I was just speechless. I had never thought that I would be, you know, held in the ranks or esteemed to, to assume this position. I was so flattered and I, of course, squeaked out, yeah. <laughs> and the process began from there with interviews and things like that. And so that was 2010 and now this is the end of year six as executive director
0: so there it is uh and i will say and this is totally and i've never i've not told chris of this but uh we during a series of things uh for our hall of honor program i interviewed chris actually about susie donolfo who you meant who uh she mentioned and uh my wife who was a field hockey player in high school was watching some of the interview footage and said to me she's like you know I wish I could have been coached by Carissa. She's just Aww. so ex- she would have been such a great coach. So she does bring that uh, that perspective to uh, to our organization. It's certainly a, a welcome. So um, so I this is sort of a a um, you know a very theoretical question. But so what this is and uh, I'll say what do you know now about the CIAC and high school sports that maybe you didn't know. Before you became executive director here, what, you know, what has sort of surprised you and, and just generally speaking, you know, what, about what this organization is and does and, and how it operates, you know, yeah. that maybe you didn't see as a principal who was involved with the organization, but not, you know, in the position you are now?
1: Well, the first thing I learned is that the state association is one of 51 member associations of the National Federation of State High School Associations, and Mm -hmm. and the 51 being Washington, D.C., which has its own. Um, So first you learn about the national structure and the national model, that there are um, guidelines from a central national staff Mm -hmm. and office right next to the NCAA, in fact, in Indianapolis. But you learn that there's a very strong network of states that all believe very strongly in education-based athletics, And programs Mm -hmm. and you come to appreciate that nationwide we still very much value how high school athletic experiences are still so unique as compared to collegiate certainly professional Mm -hmm. and even club AAU programs like that because we do place our priority on the education based component of the experience right Um, the next thing you learn is that Not a lot of people are aware of that, (laughs) and that there's a heck of a lot of advocacy work that has to be done by an association. It's not just running sport tournaments. It's not just keeping officials in touch with ADs, in touch with coaches, and and just operating the thing. It's really about educating communities, other educational stakeholders, superintendents, boards of ed, Mm -hmm. legislators, um, about what we are, what we do, and why it's important. The third thing you learn is that there are very important assets to what we do and emerging threats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just hinted on some of those assets and threats. But that these are things that we really need to undertake, not just alone as an association, but along with our educational colleagues. Again, superintendents, principals. um, The CIC itself is very unique nationally because we are the Connecticut Association of Schools. The CIAC is a part of that. So we do professional development for principals, pre-K through 12. We do athletics. We have unified sports, student activities. That gives us a national model and national respect um, that is um, very unique, and we are renowned in the nation for the work we do here. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, well, so if, if we were doing a video podcast, people could see that I'm literally checking off questions because Krissa just answered my next one <laughs> while uh with that one. But I'll let you expand on it a little bit. I'm I'm not sure because I don't think people do, you know, recognize. They obviously I think probably know CIAC and they know CIAC through tournaments and, and championships and things like that, but are probably less familiar with the the sort of umbrella of casts and the academic um, administrative leadership and things like that that we do. Can you sort of uh, and you gave a little bit of an explanation but just offer a little bit more on, you know, the different parts of this organization and what their goals are and and sort of how they excuse me, how they operate. Um, sure.
1: So, as the Connecticut Association of Schools, uh, as I said, the primary purpose is to provide professional development school leaders it used to be really oriented toward principals but Mm -hmm. now we're really looking at teacher leaders student leaders uh, aspiring leaders retired leaders that we we put into coaching situations so we really do a lot of work around leadership that being said we actually have a thousand or so member schools people don't realize that we we serve a lot of folks (laughs) Um, we have about 185 to 200 depending on the year member high schools um, but in the membership with elementary and middle, we're much larger. Yeah. Um, th- that part of the association really um, places great emphasis on partnerships. Um, I personally, as executive director, spend a lot of time with the governor's office, the commissioner of education, State Department colleagues, um, our, our colleagues at CAVE and CAPS. I think their leadership and I, we spend probably two to four days a week together at some common meeting or task force or coalition. We're doing a lot of work with educational stakeholders um, to protect the academic interests and the the transformational efforts for schools, um, helping schools and leaders to um, keep their programs relevant and meaningful for kids. There's a lot of talk about transforming schools, looking at mastery-based approaches, personalized learning, multiple measures of assessment, growth over time, a lot of these buzzwords. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest emphasis of CAS as a whole organization. Um, but the CIAC in particular is very targeted toward athletics. Um, unified sports, targeted toward unified sports. Student activities, which is your cheer, dance, debate, robotics, student leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, Programs in the equity area around leadership that are emerging now. So we, we really try to pride ourselves on touching the lives of kids and and school professionals and almost every single thing they might do, under an umbrella of CAS.
0: Right. Yeah. So it is. It's a big. It's a big tent, and there's a lot to a lot going on underneath that tent at uh, at various times. Um, also going back to you, you're again hitting off all of my questions here. But you you mentioned some of the the sort of benefits and challenges. Uh, and I'm just kind of curious, from your perspective, what you sort of see as some of the, the challenges that, that CIAC in particular is is sort of whether they're imminent or in the future, or, or things that, you know, are, are the challenges that CIAC has to address or may be addressing in the future, or just as you see them right now, what are some of those things that are uh, disrupting maybe the 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 ideals that we would have for high school athletics
1: sure so this is first if i may i'll say that this is a national conversation that we're having Um, each of our executive directors when we have meetings we we had a day and a half seminar that was facilitated by an expert recently at our winter meeting Um, as a member of the nfhs board of directors our national board is talking about this and our NFHS strategic plan is based on the threats and assets to high school athletics and activities. So that's a ba- little bit of a background there. But, you know, in Connecticut, experiencing what we're talking about nationwide. So the threat piece in particular, what we're seeing is a growing number of different models of schools, what we call schools, brick-and-mortar situations or not. Uh, we're seeing the rise of charter and magnet schools that – Uh, um, based on their enrollment procedures, uh, some lotteries, some other selection procedures. We're seeing our traditional public schools uh, sometimes suffering in that some of their uh, more successful or prominent student-athletes are going to other places Mm -hmm. where they may or may not even have athletic programs. Um, We are seeing the rise of specialized sport organizations like the AAUs, some of the academies, some of the clubs that uh, operate year-round, and it, to some degree will encourage or entice kids to choose their program over their high school program, mm-hmm. um, or they'll schedule programs that interfere with the high school programs. Um, they will pull the kids into different coaching environments and models, and that's confusing for kids and misleading for kids and families. Um so we're trying very hard to protect the high school environment and that experience. And I think all of us can go back in our own histories and remember Friday night basketball game at our high school and the school pride and the community that, it, you know, high school sports used to be the catalyst for community. And we're seeing that wane. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you talk to the kids in, in the high school ranks and they beam, and you watch what they accomplish and achieve that they can only do in high schools. Um, and that's, that's the asset, because we're building kids. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing some of those things. And some of these different schools, quite frankly, can draw kids in ways that traditional public schools can't. They pull from multiple communities. Mm-hmm. You know, the word recruiting mm-hmm. gets tossed out there, and, and certainly we're trying to pay attention to that. Um, or some of their lottery programs just, you know, challenge how traditional high schools get their kids. Right. And you have some states, and I'll use Florida as an example, that just passed a statute that allows kids to transfer during the year. They could feasibly play football in school A, basketball in school B, and baseball in school C. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see sport dynasties that could develop. So right. we're seeing all these kinds of things emerge. And trying to have a handle on those in Connecticut.
0: Right. One thing that I think people, you know, and this is uh, is a perspective that you see and, and hear sometimes is, you know, and I think is an interesting thing that you might be able to illuminate for us is, you know, there may be some, a perceived issue with the CIAC rule or a CIAC procedure or whatever it might be. And the sort of thought is, you know, from the outside, you know, why don't they just why don't they just change that? <laughs> yeah. why, why doesn't it just change? And I know in our building, and and this is something that folks might not know, there's a lot of talk about process and sort of understanding how these things work, that there's a process in place for how rules are changed, for how they're right. developed, where they come from, all these sorts of things. I thought maybe you could, you know, try to explain as, 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 without getting into uh, bogging down in too much detail, but just sort of under so people can understand the process by which you know, things happen within our organization.
1: Sure. I'll try to do it in, you know, <laughs> as, as succinctly as I can. So uh, within the CIC in particular, we have an overarching governing body called the Board of Control. And the voting members on the Board of Control represent schools of all sizes and types in the various leagues their voting members are school principals so the the primary contact for us regarding rules expectations if there's a situation where there needs to be a sanction we work with school principals Um, we also work closely with our athletic director association and our coaches association and our officials association all of whom have representation in our building and on our boards each of our sports has a committee Um, and they guide specifics to that tournament for that sport, some of the issues that might be unique to that sport. And that committee is made up of coaches association and AD association reps, as well as CIC staff and school leadership representatives. So um, the process for us is very important. And we have to remember that we're servicing about 110,000 student athletes in the state wherever possible and whenever possible. We want to try to have rules and policies in place that support what we'll call the equal playing field, level playing field, um, and do invite contribution from all of our stakeholder groups uh, so that no one voice dominates. And contrary to what folks may believe, decisions are not made by those of us staff members here in the building. They are driven by, as you refer to, process process. So let's say there's a question about a rule, and I'll use the sport of soccer. Um, Questions may come up from coaches or schools. We would vet that question with our soccer committee, and we would explore the issue a little further, get a sense of what's going on around the state through the soccer committee. If the soccer committee felt that there really was a need to change the rule, they would discuss some of the potential consequences, uh, unintended consequences, the implications for the process, things like that. And then if they felt they had something to propose for further consideration, they would send it to us at the office, and then we would vet it with the other athletic directors, the coaches association, and the principals in our member schools. If there was enough support to pursue it further, and by support, we mean not just 51%, we mean pretty overwhelming support for the rule change to Mm -hmm. be made. So now we've got input from all the schools, hopefully member high schools, and our coaches and ADs associations. Um, So then we bring the proposal to the Board of Control, and the Board of Control would vote whether or not to approve the proposal. Now, as staff members, we are guiding voices. We provide statewide perspective. We provide checks and balances in the process, make sure it's followed. We try to be the catalyst for communication around the process as it happens. So we try as best as we can to avoid miscommunication or one group says this, one says that about mm-hmm. where we are in the process. We try to control that, um, but basically that's how a rule might come from idea to fruition. Right.
0: So there's a lot of a lot of process and a lot of steps, and uh, and hopefully we're getting, as we said, the feedback and the and the interests of as many folks as possible uh, in, in the mix. And I think also worth noting that as we heard Carissa's background of coach, administrator. Um, that goes for just about every one of our CIAC staff people who have been in just, worn just about every hat imaginable in schools, uh, whether that's coach, whether it's principal, athletic director, et cetera. So um, another, you know, obviously an issue and and sort of popular topic in in high school sports uh, these days are are anything involving sort of health related um, kind of concerns. Um, You know, you can sort of pick your, pick your issue uh, at the moment, but just kind of, Uh, interested in in talking about, you know, how we bring in perspective from outside groups, particularly in the area of, you know, concerns about physical well-being, but just in in sort of in general, too, you know, how we get input, how we bring in input from, you know, people outside, even those groups you might have mentioned uh, in the process conversation.
1: Sure, that's a great question, actually, and and, um, the health and safety issues are generally the ones that really command a need for other input because they generally involve some sort of fiscal note attached to a necessary change or whatever. So superintendents, boards of education, because they're part of districts um, and they are very much uh, concerned about budgetary issues, policy issues at the board level, health and safety issues certainly are their priorities. Sports medicine specialists in Connecticut are a key voice for us, especially lately around the energy with concussions and uh, head, head injuries. Um, We generally vet all of our playing practice rules, anything that would touch upon health and safety concerns for kids. Before we do anything with a rule or a policy, we vet, vet the concern with our sports medicine society. They are a group of Connecticut experts. They're orthopedic surgeons. They could be neurosurgeons. They're all part of the Connecticut Sports Medical Society we are uh, guests at their board meetings um, I guess you could call it kind of cons- consultation members or ex- officio um, and we have a great relationship with them so they're they really um, if the sports med docs say we don't support this rule around for example contact time and football then the CIC is not going to endorse it basically
0: yeah so there's a lot of lot of input from from lots of folks all over the place Um so, just a couple kind of. Uh, we'll we'll let Carissa get back to her very busy day here, but just wanted to sort of offer and let her kind of offer some thoughts on some of those issues we sort of talked about. Either and these uh, I want to sort of post the caveat that these aren't necessarily the official CIAC positions, but just kind of her feelings on some of these issues and and you know maybe you know just how she kind of views them um, and and some of the kind of hot button things that are that are out there now and and maybe how. You know, not necessarily how CIAc plans to address them or if they plan to address them, but just sort of some general conversation on some of the the hot topics. And you mentioned sports specialization, um, yeah. and it seems like every every week you're seeing a new study, you're seeing a new you know article about whatever it might be. I know last week with the NFL draft, you suddenly, you know, see all these things about all these players who are being drafted who are three-sport athletes in high school as opposed to, you know, your uh, your all-year football kind of player kind of thing. So I'm just curious sort of, you know, from your perspective, having played three sports, but just sort of the challenge of sports specialization and, and you know, maybe where we can start to tackle it, or, or if it's something that can even be tackled, or if it even should be tackled? Sure.
1: So the specialization, and then next to that is overuse. Mm-hmm. Um, even a three-sport athlete, which is we encourage because of the you know variety and the different conditioning for the body, but then there's also overuse. So we're looking at both of those at a national level and here in the state. The next thing we're going to be looking at is baseball. Um, in some states, they already have a pitch count. Um, there's great concern about the younger ages of the Tommy John surgery uh, patients mm-hmm. and um, throwing. So we're, we're, there are studies being done on both uh, in throwing it issues in the upper body and also lower leg overuse, uh, especially in young ladies. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of studies being done around the country now looking at high school athletes and, and we should all bear in mind that high school studies have not often been done. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of sports med information about collegiate and pro because those folks are over 18. You know, this whole idea of studying youth and and kids is still sort of nascent. Right. We're just seeing first studies emerging, but overuse and specialization are the two next issues that that we're tackling, and we'll, we'll most likely see some policy change um that's in health and safety there's been a lot of talk for years about whether or not parochial schools should be playing in their own league and we had a meeting recently with all of our tournament division leadership to talk about not just that but is there a need to reclassify tournament divisions based on schools of choice Um, and i can say from a cic perspective we don't support just pulling Catholic schools out, because even within that population of schools, you have a great disparity of uh, you know tendency to be successful. But what we are looking at is that we have on both ends of the success spectrum, in some sports, a population of schools that are consistently at the top or consistently not successful. And we want to have the conversation with our members about how we might address tournament classification differently. And we've started that classification. Um, uh, So another issue that um, we're looking at is certainly uh, trying to work with social media Uh, from a promotional standpoint with the NFHS network. We're trying to get our high school stuff on the national platform and Mm -hmm. the internet platform, but we're also trying to pay careful attention to how social media is influencing some of the fan behavior, in particular, yep. around high school sports, we've seen a few of those issues emerge, um, and those can get out of hand very quickly for schools. Um, often, not even in their control until it's too late. So, we're looking at those issues as well.
0: Yeah, a lot, a uh, lot on the plate. So, this is this this. La- I'll do one more question here just to kind of get Chris's perspective, and this is mostly out of my own curiosity because I haven't asked her about this. But, and again, this is really not so much a CIAC issue necessarily, but I think one that that I see a lot of talk about among fans and among schools and, and that sort of thing. And that is the sort of challenges that coaches and schools and teams and parents all face in sort of coexisting, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, you have this sort of feeling that maybe parents are too involved and now coaches may not have support from their administration or administrators, you know, are, are dealing with different challenges. And there's so many Things at stake, and so many people that I think care passionately about it. I'm just wondering, from your perspective as a former coach and a former administrator, and ha- having worn all those hats, how would you sort of, if you were in a school now, how would you sort of try to address, you know, issues of disgruntled parents, athletes, et cetera, with within a team and within a school?
1: Yeah, so that's a that's a great big question. <laughs> so a couple things are at work here um, that have has changed over time you used to have school administrators that tended to come from a background in athletics Um, in the 50s 60s even in the 70s a lot of your school administrators were coaches in the past Um, they had knowledge of sport and there was some longevity in their job Mm -hmm. now we have people coming into school leadership positions that don't necessarily come from sport they don't necessarily have a lot of experience in the classroom even before they leave schools. The jobs are more difficult. The jobs are busier. Um, there's less time and attention being paid to co-curricular activities like athletics. Um, so the knowledge just isn't there. And you're seeing a tremendous turnover. We're also seeing the turnover in the athletic director ranks. Mm-hmm. I think in Connecticut, three-fourths of our ADs have turned over in the last five years. And that's not changing. Superintendents are turning over. Principals are turning over. So you don't have a lot of institutional memory in a school setting. Mm -hmm. You also have, as I mentioned earlier, the growth of these specialty programs that are outside of the schools and outside of parks and rec, Mm -hmm. um, which tends to be a welcome to all environment. You have the AEUs and the clubs that are developing around the sport. The sport is the priority. The X's and o's of that sport are the priority. Parents pay a lot of money for their kid to play in that that environment. So everybody's got some pretty high stakes skin in the game, and it's about winning. It's yeah. about the game. Those competing forces, with the changing dynamics within the school itself, are They just exacerbate this problem that parents have these expectations. Coaches have these expectations. If more than half of our coaches used, they used to be teachers. Now they're not. They're right. coming in from the outside. It's hard to find coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all of these changing things, um, the threats and the assets issue, and so if I mean in a school now, our schools do a great job, I think, because they have uh, parent orientation evenings, usually at the start of each season, where they review expectations they have Mm -hmm. student-athlete handbooks now Um, the parents are signing off on forms you know that they supposedly read these (laughs) things and they agree and so I think schools have never done a better job informing providing information um, getting kids involved with good coaches so we're really trying hard to maintain the integrity of the high school program against those things but they're still out there yeah they're still out there.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, no question. I think for those of us who are who are in it every day, it, it feels like prob- maybe the situation is more dire than it really is, that I think that uh, the reality is schools, for the most part, are, are doing a really outstanding job. And our yeah. our tournaments are, uh, are a highlight for us every year. And they're coming right up. And uh it's going to be an exciting time. So we're Carissa. We're we're very happy to, to chat with you and get your perspective <laughs> here. Get you finally get you on the uh, the CIIC cast. So thanks for for taking a few minutes to talk with us about all these issues.
1: Thank you, Joel, very much.
0: And there you have it. As I said, really appreciate uh, Carissa. If you got the sense from. Her introduction where she talked about uh, all of the different things that CI- CAS and CIAC do. She's a very, very busy uh, individual, and it's, uh, it was very nice of her to carve out a little bit of time to uh, to chat with me and uh, give, hopefully give you folks uh, some illuminating uh, information about things that happen here at the CIC and some of the things that are on our organization's radar. I'm sure it's not a, a shock, a lot of the things she says about the issues that, uh, that we're keeping an eye on, but it was a, uh, hopefully a good conversation. I thought it was a good conversation. Hopefully you agree. With all that said, we will be back. I'm not sure if we're going to come back next week. Are we really going to try three podcasts in a row? That's going to be bold. I don't know if that will get us back on our every, every other week sort of official schedule, but keep uh, tabs on what's going on. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter. That's where I post, uh, post our podcast links. You can also subscribe to the CIC Cast uh, on iTunes if you want to do such a thing and uh, get everyone downloaded to you the minute we post it. So that's another option for you. But keep an eye out. We'll have to see. And uh, as always, if you think there are things you'd like us to discuss, things you would like us to uh, guess you'd like me to bring on or interested in hearing from, great stories that maybe I haven't seen that you'd like a little a deeper dive on, uh, let us know. Cast. C I I C I A C C A S T. At casciac dot org, at casciac dot org is a is the email address to get in touch with us. So we thank you as always for coming out and uh, and listening to us. We all hope you enjoyed the conversation, and we hope you will be back with us the next time we decide to do it on another edition of the CIAC Cast.